I'm Christy Kaler with Open Source Bridge, and you're listening to The Changelog. the change log episode 0.2.1 i'm adam stakoviak and i am Wayne netherland we cover what's fresh and new in the world of open source if you found us on itunes we're also on the interwebs at thechangelog.com for a real-time view of the happenings on github check out tail.thechangelog.com and speaking of github go over to github.com forward slash explore where you'll find some training repos some featured repos as well as the audio podcast from the change log if you're on the twitter you can follow Change Log Show, not the Change Log, and also Adam Stack. And I'm Penguin, P E N G W Y N N. Such a fun time out in San Francisco last week at the Chirp Conference, the first ever Twitter developers conference. Loads of fun, lots of new happenings with the Twitter API, and finally got to uh, match faces with avatars from folks I've worked with the last couple of years. And uh, who, who do we speak with over there? We spoke with Hayes Davis from Austin. He maintains a, a Twitter Ruby library competing with uh, <clears throat> the Twitter gym. <laughs> and then uh, we also met with uh, Christy Kaler from Open Source Bridge. It's a cool new popular uh, unconference up in Portland uh, up in June. And then we also spoke with John and Eric from 140 Proof Ads about some cool open source uh, projects they've got. One of them is a kind of an ambient sound project for monitoring your log files i think you'll get a kick out of oh wow sounds kind of fun it was fun to be back um got a great interview lined up this week with uh, facebook so if hopefully this will air before we record that interview if you've got questions for the facebook team let us know anything about hip-hop or the 320 iphone platform yeah that sounds exciting i'm I'm actually really excited about the thursday uh recording it's it's exciting to see what facebook is doing in open source and also to have them on the show even better you know, and uh, Facebook has their F8 conference this Wednesday. Hopefully there will be a ton of news coming out of the conference, and we can uh, talk to these guys firsthand about it on Thursday. Maybe uh, maybe a scoop. Who knows? Hope so. Great interview this week, or interviews, I should say. Should we get to it? Yeah, let's do it. All right, we're joined by Eric Michaels Ober and John Manugian. From 140 Proof, talking about some open source stuff they're doing out there. Hey, how's it going? I'm Eric. Hey, what's up, man? It's GM3. Cool. So you guys have a couple of projects we're going to, to uh, feature in this Chirp Roundup edition. The first one being Racket. So who's responsible for Racket? Let's talk about it. Uh, I, I am. We, we both work on it, Eric and I together. But uh, it came out of an idea that I had a long time ago. I was reading a paper about a guy who had built what he called a sonic compiler. And so this was back in the days when, like, most code was compiled. Uh, and so you'd be running your C compiler, and as it was outputting different warnings and pragmas and errors and whatever else, it would actually make audio corresponding to what the compiler was doing. And so you kind of walk across the room, go get a cup of coffee or something, and just listen to how your program was doing. You'd be able to tell right away, like, oh, crap, you know, it's doing all this crazy stuff. And so what we are at 140 Proof is we're kind of data geeks. We have a lot of graphing. We have a lot of stats. We're an advertising platform, so there's just tons and tons of data. And so ambient visualization is really interesting to us because otherwise you just get drowned in the data. And so we said, you know, everybody does visualization. What if we did auralization? And we had sort of an audio representation of our app in real time so that you could actually listen to the performance of your app and kind of out of the corner of your ear or whatever detect when things are going wrong. Eric can tell you like a little more about how it works. 
Uh, sure. So, uh, yeah, basically we just map uh, events in a log table so you can use regular expressions to define um, you know, certain, certain events in a log file, uh, map those to an audio file, so like a wave or AIF or whatever, um, and that way when good things are happening you can hear uh, positive sounds, when neutral things are happening it's uh, sort of just good ambient noise in the background, and then when there's errors you can also have sort of louder noises or more dissonant alerts. Uh, what we've done, because we're, we're a basically a Twitter app company, um, we've mapped most of the good sounds to birds chirping. So when the app's running fine, when good things are happening, it sort of sounds like this aviary uh, in the background, and then uh, there's a big, loud, meowing cat when, uh, whenever there's an error. I love it. So how do you spell racket? Like the like tennis racket or like, like the sound racket? Uh, uh, like, like, like the sound racket. Cool. And what's the uh, GitHub URL? Uh, I think uh, the latest version, I don't even know what the master is, but I think it's probably uh, jm3, uh, github.com slash jm3 slash racket. Any dependencies on language, or is it just uh, standalone? Uh, it's written in Ruby, and I think it has some crazy dependencies, but you'll, they're in the gem file. We, I think we, we've simplified the dependencies. In the beginning days, it required like 14 Ruby libraries, because uh, as I found playing sound in Ruby, it was like, uh, it was, it was very kind of uh, non-trivial. I come from actually like a flash multimedia background, where it's super easy to play a sound file. So we've kind of, uh, Eric has kind of helped us simplify the dependencies. So I think now you can pretty much uh, run, I forget if there's a make script or there's a Ruby setup.rb, run that, it pulls in all the dependencies, and you're good to go. But can I watch any log file? Uh, yeah, it's pretty customizable, so you just define the regular expressions to, to match whatever sort of strings you want, and then uh, it'll, it'll play any sound. I forgot to mention, so, so this project also owes a huge debt to kind of inspiration from uh, Fudgy's GLTail, right? So GLTail is kind of this thing that can take arbitrary log files, you have a parser, it listens to that log file, and then it does these visualizations, and we were like, all right, that's cool, but you know, how, can, how can we make it our own and kind of enhance that a little bit? So we definitely owe a debt of inspiration to that. So Eric, uh, it was eavesdropping when I was talking to the Heroku guys about uh, Padrino, and I was talking earlier, and he says it's the new Merb. I got us talking about uh, some Merb admin stuff he wrote back in the day that he's got a new project called Rails Admin that he's uh, working on for Rails 3. Let's hear about it. Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, way back in the day, uh, we were before we were building Rails 3 apps, we were building Merb apps. And um, one sort of thing that's always been missing from Rails and was also missing from Merb is uh, this nice admin interface um, that actually exists in the Python web framework Django. So basically what I did for Merb admin was I just took all of the CSS and JavaScript from, from Django uh, and rewrote the back end in Ruby and made it, made it basically a, a Merb slice, which is kind of their plugin architecture, so that you, all you did was define your models and add this plugin, and you would get this nice admin interface. And uh, now I'm I'm rewriting that for Rails three, so uh, it should be live and ready to go as soon as uh, before Rails three uh, official launches. Active model based, is it ORM agnostic? Uh, so Merb admin was ORM agnostic. Uh, so the V one that I'm working on now, just just to kind of get it working, is Active Record only, um, but. The original uh, Merb admin, which you can still use if you have a Merb app, uh, worked completely agnostically with, uh, there, there was adapters written for Active Record as well as Data Mapper and uh, SQL. So, uh, yeah. So basically, unfold, you get CRUD screens for your models, is that the, the notion? Uh, yeah, and it, it looks exactly like the, the ones for Django. So basically, all the functionality that's in that you, you would have, which is, um, you know, I'm, I'm a Ruby guy, but uh, I, I really like the Django admin app. We steal everything from Python, don't we? <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> well, thanks, guys.
we're talking to Hayes Davis from Austin, Texas, uh, about his Twitter API wrapper called Grackle. Hi. <laughs> Hayes, tell the audience, uh, I guess, who you are and what you're doing with the Twitter API. Sure. Um, like Wynn said, I'm Hayes Davis. Uh, I run CheapTweet.com, which is a search engine for all the deal sales and coupons people talk about on Twitter, as well as TweetReach.com, which is a Twitter campaign uh, analytics tool. So that's uh, who I am, I'm a developer, um, and the founder of uh, the company that does both those things. So, so there's already a, a Twitter API wrapper out there. <laughs> Some of the books we have maintain that one for, for John Nunemaker's his Twitter gym. Why Grackle? And what problems are it trying to solve? Well, because the other rappers out there is terrible. No, no um, you know, I had a specific set of needs when I was building uh, Cheap Tweet, and basically the core thing that I came up with as my problem with, with the Twitter API was the is a fast-moving target, and it was, at least at the time especially, a, a little bit of a flaky target, so you never quite knew exactly what you were going to get back, um, and, you never, and you knew things were going to change a lot, so... Basically, the way I implemented Grackle was just assuming change from the beginning, and I tried to provide a very lightweight wrapper around the API. Uh, so Grackle's method syntax basically uh, mirrors the, uh, the calls that you make to the API REST endpoints precisely, um, and that's actually all done dynamically. So if they introduce a brand-new endpoint, um, it doesn't require any updates to Grackle. You can actually just chain your calls together and access that endpoint without any other work. So no new releases for me. It's less work for me, and I think most people, you know, want to be able to just go ahead and get started. So Sure, and I should say, you know, I'm a fan of Grackle, too. I've, I've used uh, it as well in a, a number of projects. You know, uh, it provides a diff- very different experience. I think one of the things that the Twitter gem does is, you know, abstracts a lot of the API, where Grackle, you have to know more about the API you're implementing, but that's also a good thing and a bad thing. Why don't you speak to that? Sure. I mean, I think... Uh, Depending on the level of abstraction you want, I mean, I, I think it's uh, that can be very, very good, right? If you really want to interact with um, something that's very clearly a user object that has methods on it to access information about that user, I, I think that works great. I think what happens is you get locked into a particular uh, model. So at one point, whenever the, uh, um, you know, whenever the they change the model, you know, and they add new things, then I think that you get a little bit of um, leakage there. You have to kind of work around things. Um, so. I feel like a lot of times I end up doing better when I work with uh, other APIs, just staying kind of kind of light above it um, and not wrapping it with a whole lot of other um, assumptions about how that API is going to work. I mean, one of the first APIs I worked with in Ruby was uh, was uh, Flickr, and I just felt one of the you know I tried a couple different gems, and I just felt like they had layered all this stuff on top, and there had been some you know change, and and it you know it was just it wasn't a great experience, and so I felt like. I like to be a little bit closer to the uh, to the endpoints, but that's just me. You know, one of the, the benefits of that is you your API doc is now your wrapper doc, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, I definitely like that part of it, um, and also it, it feels fairly Ruby-ish to me to be able to just kind of say, you know, here's my magic incantation, which looks like the URL that I'm trying to hit, and the parameters kind of look like the parameters that are being passed, and you know, it just it feels Ruby-ish to me, so I like that part. Well, let's talk a moment for the Ruby nerds out there. How are you pulling off this uh, the syntax? Is it method missing, or how are you mirroring those? Sure. So the way the syntax works is, it, yeah, I mean, so short answer, yes, primarily method missing. Um, but basically what I do is I, I have to know when you're done, right? So the, the actual tricky part was to know that once you've chained together this random set of calls, I have to know that you're wanting to execute it. So I, I implemented... Um, 
One thing that I kind of like is that when the last method, you can end it with a bang, and if you end it with a bang, that's a post. If you end it with a question mark, it's a get. And to me, that just felt, it felt right. You're like, I'm going to change something or I'm going to just retrieve it. Um, and so it actually, again, it looks kind of like the URL. Um, but you can also do different formats. So it actually checks for a bang, a question mark, or um, if you end up with like .json or .xml. Um, and you can bang and question mark those depending on what you want to do. Um, since then, we've had to tweak things a little bit. They've actually tweaked uh, um, the list API, for example, is actually more restful. Um, than some of the other APIs, so uh, we've we've allowed some syntax for uh, puts and deletes and all that stuff as well. So. That's fitting because I think most of my AP calls either end with a bang or end with a question. <laughs> yeah. um, why the name Grackle? Uh, so if you're not from Austin, uh, you won't probably have seen these really annoying birds. Um, but uh, this is my nod to Texas. It's it's like a, uh, a grackle is a bird. So of course, you know, on Twitter, you got to have some kind of bird thing. At least it's not murder. All right. So, um, but uh, basically, you know, they're this kind of like crow on steroids, sort of super crow thing. And anyway, I just like the name. So I actually can attribute that to my wife. She told me, she gave me that. So Kudos. Well, plug the... Uh the services that you built one more time, Cheap sure. Tweet and Tweet Reach? Yeah, sure. Uh, CheapTweet.com, and uh, also you can follow us on, on Cheap Tweet, and you'll be able to you know find all the deals, sales, and coupons that people are talking about, and there's a lot out there. Uh, we found more than a million last month uh, alone, so people, they're, they're out there. They're all sorts of interesting stuff. It's not just kind of things you can find anywhere else. It's uh, lots of things. You know, It's Twitter. It's all sorts of stuff happening, and, uh, and Tweet Reach is uh, Twitter campaign analytics, so if you're into marketing PR or know someone who is, this is kind of the service for them to see uh, what's been happening with uh, links or hashtags that have been spread around Twitter. So, We should mention we're outside of the Chirp conference for, for audio, and that's what the, the seagulls are. Um, one final thing. I've been asking if you're familiar with the show, the changelog. You know, we ask in all the interviews with what's in your open source radar. Here I've been asking the, the Twitter developers uh, what's got you most excited about the uh, developments here at Chirp. Uh, so I think the thing I'm most excited about is actually annotations. Um, I think that could open up just some really amazing stuff. Um, I was a little worried here. I, I just heard that it sounds like you might not be able to annotate existing tweets, and that might, so I don't know, I could put a little bit of a dampener on it, but there's so many different things you could do with different uh, clients able to add different metadata that other clients could potentially consume and interact with. Um, and then just depending on what Twitter does, the ability to, to query tweets by, you know, random metadata. I mean, there's a lot of power there to, to really surface some interesting stuff. So I'm eager to see what happens with that, uh, as Ryan said, next quarter or whenever we're going to see that. So. Cool. Well, thanks, Hayes. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. We're joined today with Christy Kaler from Open Source Bridge in Portland, a new unconference for open source. Uh, explain to the folks what uh, the conference is about and what you're doing up in Portland. Yeah, this is our second year doing the conference, and it's geared towards open source developers. Um, the last day is actually unconference, but the first three days are um, scheduled. And uh, we're actually working on finalizing the schedule now, so it'll be posted on the website soon, opensourcebridge.org. And uh, it's an all-volunteer-run grassroots conference. Last year we had about 500 people, and I think we'll have about that many this year. Um, tickets are pretty cost-effective, so, and it's in beautiful Portland in the first week of June. So consider coming on out. Any idea who might be speaking or you're finalizing the, uh, the panel? Maggie? 
Um, I know that, uh, uh, that Mayor Sam Adams came out to do one of the keynotes. Um, I really shouldn't speak to the rest of the schedule uh, until we get it posted on the site, though. And last year you had about 500 attendees. What about this year? What do you expect? I expect about the same number. So we're going pretty strong. We had awesome feedback last year. Um, one of the really cool things about the conference is that we have an on-site 24-hour hacker lounge. Uh, so after the sessions are done, you can hang out and get stuff done, get code contributed to your projects, and learn from your peers. What's the uh, language representation? Uh, you're a PHP developer by day. What's the, uh, the language breakdown, do you think? It, uh, from the talks that we got and the talks that we're considering, it's all over the board. We've got some good PHP talks. Um, we have a lot of embedded development. Uh, that'll be represented this year. Um, Ruby, Perl, and some things on Carrot, and there'll be definitely be some DevOps talks. Um, so I think it's a really good spread this year. It's going to be awesome. On the change log, we covered NoSQL quite a bit. So uh, any NoSQL coverage in some of those talks? Uh, we will definitely have some NoSQL talks, including a talk on maybe it shouldn't be called NoSQL. Maybe uh, you know how relational databases and non-relational databases can help solve problems for people. Awesome. So you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, off mic, about your uh, your day job with ShopIgniter. Explain to the folks what that is. ShopIgniter is a e-commerce startup, and uh, we're pre-launch. We're going to be launching very soon, in the middle of May, and we're based on the PHP platform CodeIgniter. Um, and yeah, so look more for information about ShopIgniter. ShopIgniter.com. And you think you'll have a community edition? Will that be open source or? Yeah, um, we're, we're are offering a SaaS right now on the Rackspace Cloud, and um, eventually we'll have a downloadable community edition that is open source. So we're really looking forward to that. Awesome. One more time, plug the website for the conference and how folks can sign up. Go to opensourcebridge.org, and there's information there on how to register. And on Twitter, you're? I am Christy Kaler, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E-K-O-E-H-L-E-R, and Open Source Bridge is OS Bridge, and Shopping Nighter is Thanks, Christy. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Changelog. Point your browser to tail.thechangelog.com to find out what's going on right now in open source. Also, be sure to head to github.com forward slash explore to catch up on trending and feature repos, as well as the latest episodes of The Changelog. Change Log.